Kirby. Brigitte Gabriel's Wake Up Call for America. Eddie DeGarmo, the Rebel for God. And multi-Grammy winner C.C. Winans performed. That's Trey Corley and the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Bilbrey. And now, here's Mike Huckabee! Oh, I love this audience already. I think we're going to keep them here. They're going to stay all week long. We're going to make little beds for them, feed them sandwiches for a week, and they're going to still be here next time because they are terrific. Thank you guys for coming and being with us. I'll tell you one thing. They're a whole lot better than that bunch that showed up in the Capitol this week to interview Brett Kavanaugh. Boy. I mean, this week, the Senate Judiciary Committee had hearings on Judge Brett Kavanaugh's nomination to the Supreme Court. News that the circus had gone out of business turned out to be fake news. <laughs> I mean, these hearings were a complete circus filled with untamed animals who pretended to roar, but they were mostly just a bunch of clowns. I mean, four of the Democrats on the committee had announced within an hour of Judge Kavanaugh being nominated a few weeks ago that they weren't even going to vote for him. And that was before they even knew how to spell his name. So the obvious question was, why did they even show up and pepper him with questions if no matter what he said, they were going to vote no anyway? Well, I'll tell you why. Because several of them thought it would help them run for president by preening for the cameras and pretending to actually be interested in the answers to their questions. Senator Cory uh, Booker, of, uh, maybe he was right the first time. <laughs> a psychiatrist would call that a Freudian slip. Senator Cory Booker of New Jersey was literally sending out a fundraising email the very moment that he was kicking on Kavanaugh on national TV. In fact, the spectacle got so savage and lacking of basic manners that the judge's wife hurriedly took their two young girls out of the room to spare them from watching what was supposed to be democracy in action. Folks, when the functions of our government become so nasty that they're not fit for children, Maybe it's time for some of the Senate bullies just to go home. Because if you sat through much of it, your first reaction was probably like mine. There's several hours of my life I can't get back. But then as you process it, you realize that you saw the pompous, arrogant, and out-of-touch attitude of some senators attacking a decent man who was endorsed by fellow judges, some of whom were liberal, voted for Hillary, and yet who recognized that Judge Kavanaugh is not only an extraordinary jurist, but a really good human being who coaches his daughter's basketball team, volunteers to feed people in a homeless shelter, and even tutors disadvantaged inner-city kids. Kavanaugh is going to be confirmed, and he will serve with honor and distinction. What I wish is that some of the disingenuous senators would be marked for extinction and voted out. Now, for me, it was appalling to watch Senator Richard Blumenthal of Connecticut question Judge Kavanaugh's honesty, because this is the same Blumenthal that lied about being in combat in Vietnam. To steal valor from combat veterans is not mere vanity. It is the ultimate form of appropriating someone else's identity. Whatever doubts I might have had about the judge were erased listening to his answers. Because he made clear that he would not be a conservative on the court. Now that may surprise you to learn that I was relieved by that. But here's the deal. I don't want a conservative any more than I want a liberal. I want a constitutional purist who looks solely at the law and leaves personal feelings or wishes totally out of it. By the way, if you pass ninth grade civics, and I'm convinced that many members of Congress didn't, then you know that the court can't make law. It can only interpret it. If a judge or a justice wants to make law, then take off the black robe and run for Congress. 
Now, I'm convinced Judge Kavanaugh is too smart to run for Congress. But I'll tell you something. I think he'll do just fine at the Supreme Court. As a child in her native Lebanon, my first guest was a victim of radical Islamic terrorism. Today, she is a world-renowned expert, author, and speaker on the subject of fighting terrorism and defending freedom. She's addressed the United Nations, and she's the founder of Act for America, the largest national security grassroots organization in America. Her new book is going to be released on September 11th, appropriately. It's called Rise in Defense of Judeo-Christian Values and Freedom. I'm honored to welcome Brigitte Gabrielle. Brigitte, it is so nice to have you here. Wherever you go, controversy seems to follow. I know. Can you believe it? Yes, I can. I've been around you before. So, (laughs) but, but let's talk about why. You're outspoken when it comes to the issue of securing this country and making it safe. I think a lot of people might understand you better if they knew where you came from and what you saw as a child growing up. Exactly. People ask me, where does this passion come from, Brigitte? You see, my 9-11 happened to me in Lebanon in 1975 when radical Islamists blew up my home, bringing it down, burying me under the rebel wounded Mm. as they shouted, Allahu Akbar. I ended up in a hospital for two and a half months and later ended up living in a bomb shelter six feet underground in an eight by ten room without electricity and no water and very little food. And that's where I lived for seven years of my life, Mm. from the age of 10 till the age of 17, robbed of my youth. So I understand what happens when people turn a blind eye to evil, thinking, it's not going to happen to me. It's all the way over there. Let them all kill each other. Well, over there is no longer contained over there. It's over here. And we must protect America. Well, we really must. And (laughs) it's clear that there is a growing influence of radicalism. I I don't think every Muslim, I know many Muslims, and uh, many of them are appalled that people in the name of Islam would do horrible things. And and that's not your beef, but you have been very outspoken that we have turned a blind eye to the radicalization of the religion and to weaponizing it into wanting to kill anyone who didn't agree with them. How dangerous is it in America right now? Uh, It is very dangerous. Uh, Look, uh, just because we are distracted with other things does not mean our enemy forgot about us. Just a few weeks ago, we had the the man in New Mexico with the compound training children to shoot up schools. Can you imagine if this would have happened, if he would have carried on with that? Just because we forgot about it doesn't mean our enemy has forgotten about it. And what's so concerning right now is now we're seeing a coalition of the leftists and the Islamists coming together against America and coordinating. So on one side, you know, a few years ago, we'd be worried about the suicide bomber walking into a room like this and blowing us all up to smithereens. We checked everybody out. Everybody's cool. (laughs) You're okay. Except that one guy on the third row. I'm a little worried about him. But, but what's happening right now, we're worried also just as much about Antifa and the left and people who hate cops and want to kill cops. We cannot lose law and order in this country. And that's exactly why I wrote Rise. Rise in defense of Judeo-Christian values and freedom. And we need to come together as a nation, throw political correctness in the garbage, and especially Christians and people who love this country need to come together and stand up in defense of America. The book that you've written is... I think very important because it's a book that that talks about how that we as individual citizens do need to rise up and there is an attack, an assault on the Judeo-Christian foundation of the country. Explain where that assault is headed right now. America is being transformed before our very eyes. The flag that once flew on every street corner in the United States is now considered a hate symbol on college campuses. Patriotism is seen as hateful. Our police officers are being killed by thugs and criminals, while the mainstream media victimizes their killers. Freedom of speech is being eliminated by the tyranny of intolerance. Christmas is under assault. The very foundation of our nation is under assault. And I speak to a lot of Christians that they say, oh, Brigitte, I'm praying about it. It's it's not enough to pray. It's important to pray. But Jesus himself was an activist. (laughs) Jesus stood up against evil. Jesus didn't sit on the sidelines and said, I'm going to pray about it. So we 
this is why and at the end of every chapter I wrote, I not only lay out the problem and educate, but at the end of every chapter I have a section titled, Rise Up and Act. Because you can pray, you can hope for America, you can wish for America, but without taking action, nothing happens. Brigitte, you talk in the book about uh, the need for securing borders and having a a genuine control on the immigration system. It's a major theme that you've developed in, in the book Rise. So I want you to discuss uh, how are we doing on that in America? We're doing bad right now. We're doing very bad right now, and this is exactly why we need to stand with President Trump in securing our borders, controlling our immigration, fixing our visas, uh, the chain migration, ending chain migration. Look, I came to this country as an immigrant. I understand what it's like to want to come to America. I paid for my airline ticket. I paid for my attorneys. I paid for my doctor's visits to make sure I'm tested for every disease coming into the country that I don't have any. And I had to study a two-inch thick book written by the daughters of the American Revolution about America's history and our heritage and pass a written exam as well as a verbal exam in English about our history before I became an American. By the time I became an American, I knew more about America than my American-born husband. <laughs> I have no doubt that it's true that you know more about America than a lot of Americans do, and I'll be honest with you, a whole lot more than some of the members who've been elected to the Congress. I, I think that's pretty, that's pretty right. so. You, you do discuss in the book, and I want to get into this, because you're, you're not against immigration, obviously. You're the product of immigration. No, exactly. But you wanted to have some sanity applied to it. Right. And speaking of sanity, to give you an example, and I give many examples in the book, the city of Denver, the city of Denver, Colorado, in May 2017, allowed defecation on the street because now it's no longer a crime. Why? Because they have a lot of illegal immigrants, and up to that point, it was a crime. And if the police arrests you, they can deport you because you are illegal. So the city of Denver decided, you know what? Maybe we need to bring down our standards a little bit and allow people to defecate on the street because we want to keep them here. The city of Denver has a bigger problem than Philadelphia and San Francisco. Is that what we want for the country? I don't think so. Exactly. So we are lowering our standards to accommodate the standards of people who are coming from third world countries who do not share our values and who do not want to assimilate. For those who truly want to come to America and claim political asylum or whatever they want to do, there are ports of entry, they can do that. And those who want to come here legally, they can. I came here legally, I studied, I worked, I pay my taxes, I became a part of the American fabric. Those are the type of immigrants we want. You also mentioned, and our audience certainly appreciates, because that's really what has made America an amazing country, is people have come from all over the world. But exactly. when they came here, they didn't come to be who they once were. Uh, right. They came to be Americans, which right. meant they could keep many of their cultural norms, but they, they wanted to be a part of this melting pot. I, I wanted to mention that in the book, you also discuss that TSA, an organization in our government that we have spent billions of dollars to create and fund, has not been effective. What do you mean by that? Of all the organizations that were created as a part of DHS after 9-11, after most Americans will never come in contact with any of them except for the TSA because we all have to travel. We all have yeah. to take vacations. The TSA has a 95% failure rate. 95%. Do you see that? Sounds like Keith's third grade over there. I, I think he's... Uh... So, <laughs> so all the, we spend $2.1 billion on these machines. You walk through airports and you raise your hands and you know they twirl around you. Those machines can detect anything and everything except explosives. You can walk through one of these machines with a gun taped to the side of your leg, walk straight through that machine, and that machine will not pick up that gun. One blogger did that and posted a video of himself. Two million people saw it. So the TSA was embarrassed. They told their employees, now you need to pat down every fifth passenger to make sure that we show the American public that we're taking care of them, we're protecting them. So this is the type of details that I give in the book that will shock the American public. Another example, people say, oh, I don't care. You know, I know it's costing us a lot of money. It's costing the average American, every single one of you sitting in this audience, an average of $23,000 to $24,000 per person, the cost of the war on terror. You take that for a family of four, that's almost $100,000. If any of you would have taken that money, put it in an S&P conservative uh, 500 index, earning 8% return, you would have had right now almost half a million dollars in your bank account.
So for anyone who says this war on terror doesn't affect me, they may want to reconsider and read the numbers that I share in the book. I think it is an incredibly important book for people to, uh, to get and to read, and I think it will open some eyes. I want to say my thanks to Brigitte Gabrielle for joining us. Her new book, it's called Rise in Defense of Judeo-Christian Values and Freedom. It is definitely a must read. Now, if you go online to risetoact.com and pre-order the book before the release date of September 11th, which is coming up real soon, you're gonna receive three free gifts, including a free copy of the ebook version. The website again, risetoact.com. And to learn more about Act for America, her organization that's protecting your freedom and security, and how you can get involved, visit actforamerica.com. All right, Keith, tell us a little bit about other parts of our show, if you can read all that stuff. I'll try. Later on Huckabee, the news headlines you may have missed. Rock and Roll Rebel, Eddie DeGarmo, and Mike's newest news commentary segment, The Rap Premieres. But next, it's the soulful sounds of C.C. Winans. Earlier this year, she won a Grammy for Best Gospel Album title, Let Them Fall in Love. Tonight, she's here to sing a song from it. I want you to make welcome Cece Winans.
I don't know if there's another word for wow, <laughs> but that's the only thing that comes to my mind when I hear you sing. Thank you. Thank wow. You. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh. Thank you very much. And when I hear that, it's not a surprise that you have the uh, number one ranking of female gospel artists oh. of all time. I mean, that is impressive, Cece. Very humbling. Yeah, it's, it's humbling. God has been faithful. Well, God poured a lot of extra stuff into you. <laughs> he gave you a set of pipes unlike any I think I've ever heard in oh. person in my life. Where did all of that gift come from? Where, where did, when did you first say, I can sing and I'm going to do this for the rest of my life? Well, you know, my mom and dad both sang and I come from a whole family that sings. I have seven older brothers, two younger sisters, and we all sang. And uh, my first solo was in church. And my How old mom, were you? I was about eight years old. Eight years old. When I okay. did my first solo. And um, I was so afraid, never wanted to be out front, but God had other plans for me. And so I sang and they made me sing every year at this certain program, my parents. You know, uh -huh. back then, you know, you, you couldn't do what you wanted to do. Your parents really? told you what you were going to do. <laughs> I thought we all got to just do as we please when we were little. No, no. And so I have to just say my parents saw something in me way before I knew I had anything. Who were the influences on you when you were a little girl growing up and you would hear singers? Oh, well, I grew up in Detroit, Michigan, so I heard the Motown sound. Mm. Uh, but I had a lot of great influences in the church, uh, the Clark sisters, Vanessa Bear Armstrong, but also, of course, Aretha Franklin. I was going to ask The one you, and only Aretha yeah. Franklin, uh, Gladys Knight, and the list goes on and on with just incredible Tremaine Hawkins, just incredible gospel singers and also um, soul singers. Cece, what is it about Detroit? Because if you look at the music and obviously the Motown songs, right. but it was also a lot of the, the rock stars. I mean, it was Ted Nugent, it was MC5, it was... So many. I mean, there were just... Cobbs, yeah, Robinson. Grand Funk Railroad. All. Yeah. What was it about Detroit that just burped out all these musical geniuses? I don't know. Geniuses? People say it was the water, but I don't know if that's true or not. <laughs> I've seen I that water know. up there. I'm pretty sure that's not it. <laughs> But I mean, there had, a lot was, of the people were influenced by church, weren't they? Oh, of course, yes. Most of your biggest stars come out of the church. Yeah. You know, they get their training there. It's the best training you could ever get, you know? And uh, so, yeah, definitely they were influenced by the church. This Every album, genre of music is influenced by well, the that's, church. Well, it, it is, but it seems like that Detroit had an unusual impact on mm -hmm. the musical world mm -hmm. of every genre imaginable, maybe yeah. with the exception of country. I don't know of a lot of You're country right. artists that came out of Detroit. You're right. But this album that you have, um, the song that you did just now, mm -hmm. tell me about the impact of that album on you, why this album is special to you. I, I, I just think it's my best work yet. Um, the music, first of all, is just amazing. It's all live music and it's awesome. You know about that mm -hmm. being a musician yourself. Um, but, but the messages are so important. It's, they're so timely. Like the song I just sang, Never Have to Be Alone. So many people are going through rough times and they feel lonely. A lot of people are giving up. We hear a lot about suicide. And the reason why I love doing gospel music because it's more than entertainment, but it ministers to the heart, you know? And it literally saves, it saves lives, you know, mm. it changes lives. And so this whole record, Let Them Fall in Love is a Prayer, Peace from God, you know, it's, it's an awesome song that I feel like our whole country needs today. So I just think this particular record has a lot of great messages that will touch people right where they are. There's no doubt in my mind, as I was listening to you here mm -hmm. and just mesmerized by your voice and the control and the power of the song, both lyrics as well as the song, I thought there are people all over America mm. that are being deeply moved and touched. You have a gift. Girl, you have a gift. Praise and I am God. so thrilled to have you here, Cece. Would you make me a promise and promise that you will come back and be on our show again? I promise. Okay. Yes. It is a deal, okay? It's a deal. I'll see you soon. No pressure. None. No pressure. Just a promise on live TV. Yeah.
Well, I mean it with all you my heart. I'll see you soon. Folks, to get your copy of CeCe Winans Grammy award-winning record, Let Them Fall in Love, go to iTunes. You can also go to your favorite online music retailer. And for information about CeCe's concerts, visit ccewinans.com. It's right there on your screen. Write it down. Go to the website. Don't miss the blessing of the music that you have heard tonight and the entire album will, as we like to say, knock your socks off. Keith, I know your socks are already off. We won't show your feet, but would you tell the folks we, what we have coming up next? Oh, do you want to see that? No, no, no. We're headed to Elk City, Oklahoma to find out why it's our kind of town. Then the rebel for God, Eddie DeGarmo, joins us right here on Huckabee. Welcome back. All right, Trey, I want to know what that handsome ball cap you've got perched on your head is all about tonight. Oh, yeah. Now, Gov, this one's cool. And this hat is from Fit Farm, not Fat Fit Farm. Fit Farm. Fit Farm. Not Fat Farm. No, 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 no. And this is <laughs> it's an all-inclusive fitness boot camp with lodging, meals, and fitness centers to challenge yourself and to reset your life. And, and one of my favorite, like, slogans I've seen on their website, it's hilarious. It's, it, it was for me. It says, don't go to fat camp. Come to Fit Farm. <laughs> so I loved I think I got to do it, man. I'm like... My wife's probably going to make me do it, but... Oh, I think, you know, uh, maybe I'll go with you. Do they have chicken fried steak down there? I think so. It's chicken. Uh, it is part of Yeah, the I'm sure that's it. Steak. What do you think, Keith? You want to go with me? I'm I... there. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Trey, thank you very much. You can wear your fitness cap because you wear it well. Now, if you want to learn more about Fit Farm and their all-inclusive health and wellness program, just go to fit.farm. That's right. Fit.farm. Farm. Now, tonight, there's one lucky person in our audience who has won a week fitness pass, and it includes dining, get that chicken fried steak, <laughs> guided workouts, and personal health education. So if you'll take a look up under your seat, you can find out who the lucky winner is. So look under your seat. If you can't reach under there, you probably ought to go. <laughs> Who's got it? You've got it. Congratulations. Welcome. You are going to get to go to Fit Farm. Now, you know, you really can't beat open skies, rolling clouds, and beautiful scenery. And Elk City, Oklahoma has all of that and lots more. And it's why we want to tell you about this week's Our County to Town. Elk City is a rural town located in Oklahoma, where the wind comes sweeping down the plains. And after just a few minutes in this quiet refuge from the big city, the warmth of the locals and the charm of this wonderful town will make you feel like you found home. Elk City has one of the most beautiful parks you'll ever see. Sitting on top of 220 acres, Ackley Park has a mile-long walking track that winds through alluring oaks and cedars and around glistening ponds. For the kids, there's a carousel and a train they can ride. And for the ducks that make the park home, there's a lighthouse to help them avoid crashing into the rocks at night. Now, for all the peacefulness of this town, Elk City residents are not afraid to get a little rowdy. Every Labor Day weekend, the Rodeo of Champions is held at the Boitler Brothers Arena. And even if it's your first rodeo, it's not theirs, and they promise you'll have the time of your life. After that adrenaline-pumping experience of bronc bucking, you can wind down with a walk through Elk City's lovely downtown and a visit to the famous Route 66 Museum. Now, if you stick around long enough, and as well you should, you'll see some of the most dramatic clouds you've ever laid eyes on. There's a reason they say Elk City has an endless sky. So with many people wanting to win the rat race, a town like Elk City, Oklahoma reminds us of the value of slowing down a bit and being content. And that's why it's our kind of town. Our thanks to the Elk City Convention and Visitors Bureau, as well as for Pauline, for suggesting their beautiful town and sharing their photos and videos with us. If you'd like to visit Elk City, Oklahoma, check out visitelkcity.com. They can help you plan your trip. And if you've got a town you want to nominate, just send us the information on why you think it ought to be 
our kind of town. Send it to the email address that's on your screen. We'd love to recognize the place that you call home. Keith, speaking of home, let's see what else we have in our home here tonight. I certainly will. Coming up, Mike reviews the news you may have missed. And later, our newest commentary segment, The Rap premieres. Tonight, right here on Huckabee. Have you ever just stayed awake at night dreaming that one day you'd be sitting on a camel in Israel? Okay, well, you could do that if you wanted to. And if you come with us to Israel for the greatest trip, you will discover what it is to ride on a camel. Maybe you've dreamed of more important things than riding on a camel. We do those too. I hope you'll come with us February 2019 for the greatest trip ever. By the way, if you want more details, go to thegreatesttrip.com. That's thegreatesttrip.com. On MikeHuckabee.com, you can learn how rabid beasts posing as senators have infiltrated the Kavanaugh hearings. And a quip a day keeps socialism away. So follow me on Twitter at GovMikeHuckabee. That is, as long as you have a decent sense of humor. Otherwise, symptoms may include leaking of the eyes, reddening of the face, and shortness of breath. Well, from a man who gets people to pay for him to stare at them, to a fellow who might be just the worst robber in the world, we've got the news stories that you may wish you'd never seen. And they're coming up right here on In Case You Missed It. Well, the new Nike ad campaign featuring Colin Kaepernick and the slogan, believe in something, even if it means sacrificing everything. That has inflamed Americans who believe it's another shot at patriotism, building on the kneeling during the national anthem efforts. But there are others who feel that it is a statement on behalf of minorities who have suffered from police brutality and racism. Kaepernick hasn't even played football in two years. Heck, I've played in as many NFL games as he has during the past two years. None. And by the way, someone pointed out that he's become the real-life Al Bundy who can't play football, but he is now selling shoes. <laughs> Taya Kyle, who's the widow of American sniper Chris Kyle, said this, taking a stand, or rather a knee, against the flag, which has covered the caskets of so many who actually did sacrifice for uh, everything for something they believe in, that we all believe in, well, the irony of your ad, it's almost leaving me speechless. Were you trying to be insulting? Well, that was her words. By the way, in less than 24 hours after Colin Kaepernick first revealed the spot, Nike received more than $43 million worth of media exposure, according to Apex Marketing Group. But almost overnight, Nike's favorability rating dropped by over 34 points, going from 69 down to 34. Also, before the poll, only 2% reported hearing negative sentiments about Nike. After the Kaepernick announcement, 33% said they'd heard negative things about the brand. And their evaluation tanked by $3 billion. Now, as for me, I'm joining with my music friend John Rich and steering clear of the Nike brand and its decision for now. If you see it differently and you're headed out shopping, I wish you no ill will and, and I hope you get a good deal. I do hear that Nike is now planning on capturing the market in knee pads and that in the future, they will only sell shoes for the left foot. Our second story of the night, a Croatian man named Brazzo will stare at you for 10 minutes for the low, low price of just $8. I'm not kidding. And all with no personality or even energy. People claim that he's created romances, brought peace, and even provided hope. All by simply gazing at his audience. Some people are so addicted to Brazzo that they attend back-to-back -back gazing sessions in order to feel whatever it is they think is happening when this guy stares at them. Now, he doesn't give a speech. He doesn't sing. He just stares at them. 
Since 2008, the man with a profitable case of the stairs has only actually spoken to people in his inner circle, who often happen to be lovely models. Many of those who believe in the gays guy uh, end up buying his DVDs for fill-ups and sometimes even rub them on their skin to ease body aches and pains. And that's at only $35. Or you can spend up to $5,000 for his son-inspired jewelry line. How can you go wrong with that? <laughs> if Brazzo's gift of gazing is so effective, I think we ought to hire him to visit Capitol Hill and gaze softly into the eyes of unhinged congressmen and journalists. Heck, I'll even pony up the eight bucks for each of the politicians and journalists. Maybe he could stare some sense into them. And I wouldn't mind giving a few of those Democrats on the Kavanaugh Committee just a, maybe a noogie or two with a Brazzo DVD. I know one thing that you can take to the bank. Brazzo must have won every staring contest with the kids in his neighborhood when he was growing up. No doubt about it. I think I'll just stare at the audience for a while. I'll get the $8 later. Our next story. The term efficiency has long been used for smallish apartments in big cities, but the city of St. Louis is breaking new ground with distinctive architecture. They've combined the kitchen, the bathroom, all in one tiny layout. The kitchen and the bathroom. Just think of the decorating and culinary opportunities when you have the bathtub, the toilet, oven, and fridge all in one convenient space. Yes, that's right. Think about that. Now your guests can head out on the porch so someone can use the restroom before they come back together for the next course. And I guess the need for that extra chair has been solved when someone shows up unexpectedly. Pretty sure my new favorite dish would be Mac and for bees. The 200-foot apartment goes for just $525 per month and it has potential renters flush with excitement. It's all part of a rehabbed 111-year-old building and does feature some hardwood floors and new windows. Oh, and there's a water-saving feature. You can wash the dishes as you take your bath. Now, how are you gonna beat that, huh? All right, our next story. It's from our crime doesn't pay file. Mason Tackett of Floyd County, Kentucky had his phone burning up when neighbors called to tell him that his cousin Philip was robbing his home. When Tackett arrived on the scene, his stuff was all over the lawn and his cousin was talking crazy. He kept shouting, I didn't do it, before pulling a gun on Mr. Tackett momentarily. Then after the police arrived and the dust settled, Tackett took inventory of the stolen goods and was perplexed. Quote, who steals a cheese grater, an empty bottle of Lysol, and some soap? I mean, seriously, who steals soap? Tackett believed that there must have been a bad batch of methamphetamine whipped up in the county because, he said, Floyd County has gone crazy the last four days. Well, Tackett's cousin was charged with receiving stolen property and being a convicted felon with a firearm. So it was soap and the dope, cheese and the sleaze, and some spray and some cray-cray. That's what we had going on there. And finally, the Miami Herald-endorsed Republican candidate Bettina Rodriguez Aguilera, who is running to replace a standing representative for a district that included parts of Miami and Miami Beach. While she lost her primary bid, people are in disagreement as to why. Rodriguez Aguilera had been a city official. She'd been a business executive. But as the Miami Herald noted, we realize that Rodriguez Aguilera is an unusual candidate. And what's so unusual, you ask? Well, Rodriguez Aguilera had appeared on Spanish-language TV shows to describe her experience of being abducted by aliens when she was seven years old. She explained how three beings, two women and a man, spoke to her telepathically and took her aboard their spaceship. Inside, she saw round seats that were there, and some quartz rocks that controlled the ship, and she claimed she had communicated with them several times since then. And people were split as to why she lost the primary, really? <laughs> the Herald's editorial page editor, Nancy Ancrum, defended their selection of Rodriguez Aguilera, declaring, here's why we chose her. She's not crazy. I don't think we went off the rails here. And the failed candidate also stated, I was abducted by aliens, but that doesn't define me. <laughs> 
Well, I can think of some current members of the Senate and House I'd like to see abducted by space aliens, but please don't bring them back. And that is the news that we keep up for you, and it's why we gaze at the news, national, international, and intergalactically, so you don't have to. Keith, back to you, my friend. I'm just going to stand here and get Next, the rock and roll life of Andy DeGarmo, plus the premiere of Mike's new commentary segment, The Rap. Lots more Huckabee is on the way. As half of the award-winning duo DeGarmo and Key, my next guest helped shape and popularize Christian rock. Now, as a teen in the 60s and 70s, the Jesus movement and the launch of Christian lyrics with a rock and roll rhythm kept me in the faith. Eddie's label, Forefront Records, introduced countless Christian bands, including the multi-platinum DC Talk. And then as head of the largest faith-based music publishing company, Eddie helped change the face of modern worship music. His amazing life story is detailed in this brand new book called Rebel for God, Faith, Business, and Rock and Roll. Welcome, please, a true gentleman and a great guy, Eddie DeGarmo. Eddie, it is thrilling to have you here. Great to be here, Governor. Your story is wonderful, and I'm not kidding. If it weren't for guys like you, uh, Larry Norman, and some other folks that were taking the music of the day and giving us Christian lyrics. I, I'm not sure. I'm, I might have just wandered off into a, a spiritual desert as a teenager. So thank you. Well, it's very kind of you to say, you know, and it's an honor to be here with you and to talk about this book and just thank you so much. Well, you grew up in Memphis, not far from Graceland. So I, I'm assuming Elvis and all of those Memphis oh. uh, sounds were a big influence <laughs> on you. Well, I grew up almost across the street from Graceland Mansion. Mm. And every day my school bus would drive by Graceland in the morning. And a lot of days you'd see Elvis out there riding his horses and stuff. And so from a really early age, I mean, I thought rock and roll was a good way to make a living, you know? <laughs> and so I was gonna do that. In fact, uh, uh, a story, I, I trick-or-treated from Elvis once. Did you really? I did, and he gave me a signed dollar bill. Wow. And what do you think I did with it? I Tell me you didn't spend it. Spend it the next day. Oh, you've got to be kidding. <laughs> I did. The audience I has just it. turned on you. <laughs> I spent it the next day. Well, you know, Elvis was kind of a star of my big brother's generation. I was more into the British invasion groups of the 60s and 70s, probably like you were. In oh, I was. Absolutely, you know, I was. Yeah. But I still loved Elvis. Absolutely. I still do. Yep. But, but you were not originally a Christian uh, rock artist. You started out in secular bands and you were playing clubs and parties and dances and all sorts of things. When did the transition come from uh, just playing rock and roll music to saying, you know what, I could do Christian lyrics to this and it would, it would work? Well, I started my first dance band to back up a little bit when I was 10, mm. 10 years old. And when I was 15, I signed a major uh, contract with a, with a label and we're working on my first album. And then when I was 17, I had a lightning bolt experience with God. Mm. And it was during that experience that I you know, found out what Jesus was all about. And getting into music, Christian music, was never necessary by design. I just started writing lyrics. You know, writers write about what's important to yeah. them. You know, hip-hop writers write about the street and country writers write about pickup artists, you know, trucks. Uh -huh. And I wrote about my faith. Hmm. And soon, all the other kids said, well, that's like Christian rock, right? And I didn't really even know what the word meant at the time. But the music became a magnet to draw young people together. And it gave myself and my partner, Dana Key, a chance to, to share the good news with them. Well, you and Dana were at the forefront of, of the whole movement. And I think we're transformational in making it a, a part of our culture. But not everybody was all excited about it. I mean, you had some pastors and others that thought you were just doing the devil's work. Well, they were excited, but, <laughs> but maybe not positively excited. Not in the way you wanted them to oh, be. Oh, my huh? gosh. This was 1972, <laughs> way back, you know, and, and we would set up in parking lots on flatbed trailers, and we would, you know, play our music, and I've had tomatoes thrown at me, and, 
you really? know, oh my gosh. And, you know, through the years, I've been able to work with a, with a lot of prominent artists of today. And I tell these stories and they're like, really? Somebody actually threw a cabbage at you? And I said, yeah. And I said, you know, they were pretty good. They hit me, <laughs> you know. But uh, that was all a part of it. And I got a pretty thick skin to it. And, you know, I, I viewed my work kind of like a subculture missionary, if you yeah. will. And I felt like it was important to, to take on, you know, the, the image of the young people to draw them in and, and talk to them about it. But you were getting we through to people like me and others of our generation, because we're pretty much the same age and generation, but you were getting through to us when we just were not tuning in to, uh, you know, sing the first, second, and third verse, standing on the third. And, and, and again, you know, nothing wrong with it, but I'm telling you, it, it, it was not speaking to where we were as kids at that time. Well, rock music was the music of our generation. It's what we grew up on. Yeah. You know, and uh, again, it was never a conscious decision. I never said, well, I'm going to be a, you know, I'm going to rebel and play rock. It just came very naturally. And it really wasn't race. a rebellion, though, was it? No, it wasn't. It was, it was a following your instincts. And, it was. And, and trying to reach those kids. And I'm sure when you're sitting up in a flatbed truck, you're looking out there, and the pastor may be throwing a cabbage at you. <laughs> but those kids were... They were, they were totally tuned into what you were doing. Well, the flip side of what happened, you know, through that experience of the pastors throwing things, and, you know, they didn't throw things that much. I don't want to say, <laughs> put it out of character here. But it was also the, the engine of publicity that God used to get the word out, mm. you know, because newspaper writers and magazine writers and people love to take pictures of the, of the bands playing Christian music and write about it. And, you know, can you do this? Is this right? You know, is this the proper way to present the gospel? And all we knew is that lives were being changed, mm. you know. You transitioned then from filling arenas and large event centers and got into a totally different part of the business, which is producing other artists and introducing those artists to the rest of America. Rebecca St. James and DC Talk and so many people that then we knew from the, the 80s and the 90s and you were the one behind those folks. Well, I, you know, I always had a little bit of a knack for business in that I was always the guy trying to figure out how to buy a, another tank of gas to get to the next town. And my partner, Dana, was very gifted in presentation and speaking from stage in a, in a different way than I was. But I was always trying to figure it out and, you know, try to make it work. So in the late 80s, I, I got with some friends and I formed a, a boutique Christian music label. And one of the first groups we signed was DC Talk which went on to sell, you know, tens of millions of albums. And that label grew over a 10-year span to be the largest independent Christian music label in the world. And so I'm very honored to be able to be a part of that legacy and see what those artists could accomplish in a way that, that was beyond what I accomplished. Well, you've accomplished much, and the book is terrific. There's some great stories in here. I just got to tell you, one of my favorites is the bass player in the band who got in trouble because he... He moved his hips too much. Oh, my gosh. I mean, there's oh some gosh. great stories in this book. It's called Rebel for God, Faith, Business, and Rock and Roll, Eddie DeGarmo. I love this guy. I'm so grateful for his life and what he has done for so many of us in keeping us connected uh, to spiritual things when it would have been very easy just to say there's nothing for me. Also, let me uh, tell you to like his Facebook page at facebook.com slash the Eddie A. DeGarmo. All right, Keith, we've had fun over here talking. I'm going to let you see if you can have a little fun over there where you are. Next, Mike shines a light on anonymous cowards in the White House. It's all coming up in 60 seconds on Huckabee. Stephen Colbert once said that when you throw away a New York Times, it takes a hundred years for the lies to biodegrade. Let me tell you why I tend to agree with him tonight in what we call the rap. Well, the New York Times published an anonymous op-ed this week by a gutless coward who boasts of being some senior official in the administration. The pathetic weasel pretends to be a patriot who, despite getting a paycheck from President Trump, is openly trying to subvert him and undermine his presidency. Now, it's not shocking that there are some self-serving, arrogant traitors in the government. 
But it is shocking that the New York Times, the gray lady of journalism, would allow a conniving and corrupt government employee to hide under its skirt. Look, if you believe that the person who gives you a paycheck is less than you, then have the integrity to quit taking that paycheck, resign your job, and go public with what you are, what you believe, and most importantly, with who you are. Moreover, do what I did and did it repeatedly. Run for office. Look, I didn't hide under a fake name. I put my name on the ballot. And when I lost to Donald Trump, I accepted the choice of the voters. The person who wrote this doesn't deserve to work in the same administration as General John Kelly, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, Defense Secretary Jim Mattis, or for that matter, my daughter. So I say to the person who took a job and now takes a check only to betray the one who supplies it, let me just say, no one elected you to anything. And if you think you're better than the one who was elected, then come out of hiding, get on the ballot, and show us what you've got. Until then, shut up. And please, don't take another dime from me and other taxpayers, you sad little worm. And on that loving note, my thanks tonight to Brigitte Gabriel, CeCe Winans, and Eddie DeGarmo. Next week, we're going to be joined by the man who made Dollar General stores into an empire, Cal Turner Jr. We're also going to enjoy the incredible talents of the Annie Moses Band. And of course, we're going to take on the news and issues with a common sense perspective. I hope to see you right here next week. Now for now, good night, God bless, have a great week, everybody.